0: I am the author, Pastor Michael Zarling. We have the editor of the book, Pastor Peter Hagen. We did not record last week. Why was that, Peter?
1: <laughs> You're gonna make me talk about this now. Um, because <laughs> I lost my voice. Yeah. And and if you know me, this is something that is very unusual, and it was very distressing because, like pretty much everything that I do, everything that I like to do um, involves talking. And um, thankfully, you know, my voice has returned. It uh, I only lost it for like the space of the week and was able to grumble through um, Sunday morning service without without any major hiccups.
0: But uh, we're back on the upswing now.
1: <laughs> Thanks for asking.
0: You're you're welcome. Well, I just wanted people to know we didn't forget to record. There was a good reason, and and I know Peter what it's like to lose your voice. I did that several years ago christmas eve my voice is a little gravelly on christmas eve and we had uh, hot wings that night and and i was like hot hot wings and my my voice also cleared up that night for dinner so this is gonna be great well the next that night i couldn't sleep because my throat hurt so badly and i struggled the next day just choking through the words and Uh, what happened was I burned my vocal cords because they're already raw from uh, coughing and so forth and then having that hot sauce on them. And so my choir director said, Pastor, just don't ever do that again. Just we'll find someone to do the scripture readings and sermon for you. Wow, Uh, that is intense. (laughs) That's right. So uh, getting into the last few pages of chapter two, We're looking at pages 39 and following the mark of the beast. So one of the questions I have in my study guide on this uh, is what's going to happen, Peter, when Christians do not step up and step into the culture to speak the good news? And I know you had done some research on some, some history of when did Christians and pastors stop stepping into the culture?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and there's a couple of different things there. There's there's the culture, there's the politics, and for one reason or another, politics really consumes our attention as Americans. Um and in reading about this, that historically pastors have actually readily pretty readily gotten involved in politics. We had that example in the book um of our our Wisconsin Synod churches and The other churches of the synodical conference—they were advocating for the ability to run their own um, private parochial schools in the German Um, language—and so they were very active politically and actively opposing any candidate who was in favor of, you know, policies and laws that were detrimental to our churches and schools. Um, But where it all comes around again is up until 1954. That churches and other nonprofit organizations were permitted to expressly endorse or oppose candidates for political office. Um, the way it is now, that you can you can talk about a social issue, you can talk about the platform, but you can't talk about the person. Um, and that that wasn't the case up until 1954. You could say vote for John Smith or don't don't vote for uh, John John Smythe, you <laughs> know whatever his name may be. Roger um up until 1954 because in in that 1954 uh there's this guy Lyndon Baines Johnson maybe you've heard of him um later to become the president after his uh the the sitting president was assassinated uh LBJ was running for United States Senate and during his during his campaign he was being opposed by a nonprofit organization a nonprofit organization it was not a church Um, They said, you know, do not vote for this guy because A, B, and C. Well, LBJ went ahead and won the Senate election. And then when he, after he became a senator, he proposed some legislation, said, you know, we should should amend the Internal Revenue Code, the IRS code, to prohibit nonprofit organizations, including churches, from endorsing or opposing political candidates. That's the background. And that's pretty much all that we need to know. Because then that Internal Revenue Code was amended right there in 1954, without really any additional debate. Um, I mean, it's you know thinking back 70 years almost, it's incredible how how quickly some of these things passed with um, so little discussion. And they the bill was probably short enough to read the whole thing ahead of time. Um, So they passed this in 1954 without any discussion on how this would affect. Um, churches, and how it would affect or influence or interact with the First Amendment, which is a, another big issue, um, which opens up a whole other can of worms here in the modern day. So this Internal Revenue Code now expressly prohibits churches and other nonprofit organizations from directly endorsing or opposing political candidates. You can't say, you know, vote for Mayor Wade, because, you know, he's our mayor here in Toledo, um, or vote for, vote against Mayor Wade. As as a church, um, you can't say that, even if a church has a vested interest in one candidate or the other, or one candidate or the other is more in line with the church's beliefs. Um, According to the IRS legal code, they can't say that, because the IRS has the, the threat of removing a tax exempt letter ruling, which is different from the tax exempt status. So the the pat button that everybody hits is, oh no, I can't mention um, President Trump or you know or President Obama or President Bush or um, and or President Biden. I can't mention any of these guys because we're going to lose our tax exempt status. Um, that has never happened. In 1992, there was one church that took out a full-page ad in the USA Today, um, which was a big deal in 1992, I suppose, Um, a full-page ad saying, don't vote for Bill Clinton because A, B, and C. They lost their tax-exempt letter ruling, but they did not lose their actual tax-exempt status. And where that comes into play is that if if a church loses its tax-exempt status, then that is in effect the government using the ability of taxation to, um, to limit the speech and to limit the religious gatherings of a particular congregation. Because then what is taxed isn't just um, isn't just payroll. Um, it's all the properties, it's all of the grounds, it's all of that value um, and to the to the degree of you know thousands upon thousands of dollars a year, and very quickly. Um, a church would lose its ability to to act so it it all changed in 1954 um another day we'll talk about the citizens united supreme court case um but if you want to look that up on scotus blog there's our there's our plug for today um that one is also very influential but the big idea here is 1954 lbj proposed you know we shouldn't let nonprofits 501 501c3 51 c 4 make any political endorsements because he had a bee in his 10-gallon hat um, about being opposed by this this group of people who are running their own nonprofit. but in the last 70 years we haven't had any actual um, revoking of tax-exempt status um, but then you know the citizens united case and um, Lois Lerner as head of the irs in the last couple of years that would probably bring in some some new updates um to this this tangled web of trying to understand how does a church make a clear proclamation in the culture well oh, thanks more than, but it's a good start yeah
0: <laughs> and i'd be interested if any of our listeners let us know if you do go to the scotus blog that would be interesting if someone does besides <laughs> peter uh, but I get two hits two hits yeah. you Uh, You referenced uh, something I bring up later on, on the doctrine of resistance and uh, in in chapter five of the book, and we talked, you talked about the Bennett law, and we'll talk about that later on. But since you you referenced that, uh, there's one instance I did not put in the book where we as a Wisconsin centered church body uh, also resisted and, uh, opposed as a church and a church body and that was with world war one and it wasn't just church members it was pastors it was our uh, then dmlc dr martin luther college in new Ulm, minnesota and our seminary wisconsin lutheran seminary in mequon wisconsin that there were pro- professors at both synodical schools that loudly proclaimed that getting into the first world war was was wrong and uh, it it talked about uh, in the paper i read that there were uh, government agents who were following around uh, at least one of our dmlc professors because he was so outspoken on this and uh, i would encourage people if you're really interested in that you know after you finish the scotus blog you can look up uh, the War to End All Germans, Wisconsin Synod Lutherans in the First World War. That's by Stephen Gergel. So it was his, uh, I think that was his senior thesis paper, uh, master thesis at the seminary. And that's where I got that story from about uh, World War One, And also I included the story then about the Bennett Law that we'll talk about when we get to Chapter 5. But Peter and I bring these instances up to say it is not Uh, historically wrong in the church for Christians and Christian leaders like pastors, professors, and so forth to oppose, uh, you know, to be pastors and be like a John the Baptist or an Elijah and call out those leaders in the government is only in the last few decades that that's become kind of the doctrine of our church and church bodies, right?
1: Yeah and and I
0: guess here's my question for you
1: that you are slightly older than me from from your perspective um <laughs> slightly from from your perspective have people um always been this this devoted to a particular candidate or party mm. or platform or has it gotten worse in the last you know what was what was the kind of tipping point and change point and all that yeah, because then my question, I, you know, we, we talked about um, the first commandment uh, in the large catechism on sun, this past Sunday in Bible class and talking about when we have a God, we're looking to that thing to provide for us what only God can provide for us. And, um, and it's difficult to talk about these policies and, and these platforms without getting into politicians and then as a pastor, you're like, well, I don't want to totally offend you because I want you to hear about Jesus and I want you to receive the sacrament here. So the question then is, it makes it a little bit stickier um, for the pastor. When things change, to sport my
0: team colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know my history well enough and I wasn't paying attention to that so much. But you're right that oftentimes when if we're going to oppose something or promote something in the culture and it's going to tie into politics it's often going to be tied specifically to one candidate or another Uh, i know we we always i always encourage people to go on to uh, facebook and twitter now x and to read excerpts from from my book and i had someone this week that has Gotten onto my Facebook post and really just started hammering me. And both my wife and I figure out this is a troll because this person uh, does not have a profile picture, doesn't have any comments, uh, any friends, and so forth on Facebook. But uh, I I, I did not really engage this person the first time, but then this person came back, and I did engage this one just because I didn't want to leave whatever he or she is saying out there to be the last word. And I bring it up here because uh, the last post from yesterday talked about the difference between a, a a an amoral society and an unmoral society, or immoral. immoral is we know what's right and wrong. we choose to do what's wrong amoral uh means we have no morality and she right away took it to january 6th and to uh president trump and so forth and i i just said i'm not talking about one candidate or another i'm saying as a society we have i said at the end of it the last election in my viewpoint we had a choice between two very amoral um, and immoral candidates in Biden and Trump. Why? Because we as a culture have become amoral. And so we we get, we may not like those choices, but we get what we get because uh, that's the kind of culture we are now. And, but I think that's the way we have to approach it as pastors in Bible classes and sermons say, I'm not talking about a candidate. I'm because really, uh, both, both parties, you know, Democrats and Republicans, are really the same. Uh, it, you know, I heard someone describe it as they're just two different wings of the same bird or two different wings of the same airplane. We're going to the same place. It's just one is going there slower than the other. Uh, so, so that's just making sure that. People know, hey, if I'm going to oppose something, I'm usually opposing it on both political spectrums because they're both wrong. But we we just have to make make clear on that. We're not talking about one politician or another. But the whole point of you and I talking about this is we shouldn't be afraid to talk about this because we should be opposing the beast out of the sea. Uh, you know, As I say at the end of this chapter is that, The government can be the servant of the Lord. It can also be the servant of Satan. Two things can be true at the same time. Again, we're not living in a culture like that, are we? We're living in a culture where you make one statement and that's your statement forever. No, two things can be true at the same time. And the two things that are true is the governing governing authorities are God's servant when they're serving God's will and serving God's people. That's Romans 13. But it's also true that the same government can act as uh, Satan's ally and Satan's servant when he's following Satan's will. And it's the same way that happens with us as sinners and saints. You know that at times we're and it can be within moments of each other. We're serving Satan and because of our sinful nature, and we're serving God according to our sanctified nature. And I think we get into false doctrine and at least false actions, when we don't see both of those. So anything yeah, on that?
1: And then, um, I guess a couple of things, because, I mean, it is a good comparison to draw to to the, the Christian. Um, and for the Christian, there there's the extra third level of you've been given rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Um, but then for the government, which is basically a secular citizen, um, in, in that comparison, it can act in line with God's, with God's law, with God's revealed word, with God's moral law that applies to all people. And it can act against that. Um, and to a greater degree, Christians can promote um, within the government, they can, they can promote a moral law that will, that will serve to curb the sinful flesh. Or um, the government can persecute to a greater or lesser degree, um, but they can oppose the Christian church. And to, to think of all that, and I guess my other, my other follow-up then is how do we get from having a difficulty talking about a platform or a person and and you know some somebody's like oh no Pastor Hagen you are you're a supporter of that candidate or this candidate I don't want to listen to you anymore, um, which you know occasionally has happened. Um, but how do we get from that point back to rewinding the clock basically to 1954 where we can talk about these things logically and and openly and have and have a discussion? Um, I think that's where like you know this video discussion of yours is uh, and, and this book is a fantastic idea. Um, But what else do we need like within our, within our homes or churches or schools?
0: Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, the point of the book is that we need to be discussing this. We have not been discussing these things at all. And, and I think people are going to be nervous about it in the beginning. And that's why you, we got to keep bringing it up over and over and over again. Uh, But let's get into this, this topic right here of the mark of the beast. Of Revelation 13, starting with verse 16, it says, uh, St. John describes the mark of the beast from the land. He also makes all people small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, in order that no one may buy or sell unless he has the mark, the name of the beast or the number of his name, Here is wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So, Peter, what have you heard people say this mark of the beast can be?
1: (laughs) Um, All all sorts of things. Um, And at various points in history, um, you have different things that kind of come up. Um, Tattoos. That if you get a tattoo, then that is the mark of the beast. Um, it, or some sort of like a barcode. Or um, you think of like the hand implant that you can then use to purchase when you go into an Amazon store. Um, or, or, you know, some sort of governmental documentation that allows you um, free transit within your borders. Or the ability to, to purchase. Um, or even, you know, vaccination and and uh and the proof that you have been vaccinated or the proof that you haven't you know that was some of the pushback from some of the more um i would say extreme christians who aren't very well informed on how to read revelation um but they said oh no you know that that those one one segment that said oh no this is the mark of the beast this is it this is the end times you know don't get it because you will be marked with the beast so what exactly are we talking about here if it's not those things
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, and what I always tell people too is that it can't be specifically like a barcode or a, a chip and so forth, because those are in tw- the 21st century. And St. John is writing to people in the first century. And that mark of the beast was there already and it's there throughout history. So, some examples of the mark of the beast in history. I have this in the book is, it's whatever people need to do to be tolerated by the alliance of corrupt government and corrupt church. We can see in history where this mark of the beast was the official certificate, which stated that the holder had burned incense to the Roman emperor. So that's going to be like the first and second centuries. It was membership to a communist youth organization as a prerequisite to attending a university. And that would be the 19th century and 20th century. It can be acceptance of abortion as a criterion to run for public office, uh, and that would be the 21st century. It can be the same thing, like you said, of uh, a just having a COVID shot. Uh, that I know a lot of a lot of the military were kicked out of the military because they refused that shot or nurses and police officers and other workers who refused it uh and if it was on christian grounds then that would be the mark of the beast so there's anything that would uh, keep them away from the marketplace i know i think you have some examples too of other other examples
1: yeah as far as um because when when we think about this, the the primary thing we're thinking about is the government using its authority to restrict um, mm-hmm. and then compelling obedience in order to be accepted. Um and we're not just talking about um, not just talking about you know the free free exercise or free transit within or the free um, free capital free enterprise system that we have. We're talking about you know the government using its authority to um, to kind of imprint itself on your life in order for you to carry out your daily actions. Um, I didn't I didn't have any other uh, any
0: other examples that that kind of come to mind. Well, Here, I've got yeah, I've got two other ones. One would be uh, this is just from the last two weeks in news stories. One is uh, Lizzie Marbach, who was reprimanded by her Ohio republican congressman because of a tweet Uh, she he said that she was bigoted this was the tweet there's no hope for any of us outside of having faith in jesus christ alone and then she eventually got fired from her her job in uh, a pro-life clinic that this republican uh, congressman's wife was in charge of so there is someone that at least the way it looks on the outside, that because she held up her faith in Jesus Christ, the the seal of Christ uh, in baptism, that's Revelation 14, and did not have the mark of the beast of unbelief, she was fired. Mm-hmm. Or another example that you and I had talked about this past week was that of Catholics Mike and Kitty Burke, who were denied mm-hmm. right to be foster parents, because they would not, this is a quote, would not be affirming to a child who identified as LGBTQIA. So they would be a great foster couple, an ideal couple in the past, but now the abortion I mean the adoption and foster agencies would rather have gay couples and so forth, uh, single men, single women and so forth, rather than a conservative, Bible-believing Christian couple. They do not have the mark of the beast on them, so they're they are outside of the commerce and even the commerce, if you want to call it that, of being able to open up their homes to children.
1: Yeah, and and I would add one more. Um, now that we're thinking about this a little bit more, that you know I've previously served in Ottawa, Ontario, which is the capital of Canada, um, and then you know in Minnesota and out here in Toledo and in all these places. Uh, I've encountered actually a large number of people, um, friends, and sometimes church members, who who have worked in various levels of government, various avenues of government. You know whether it was military or something more administrative. Um, and and to a person, they all you know there 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 have been at least at least four people who came to me and just talked a little bit about some of the new training that they had to undergo. Um, you know, like a sensitivity training kind of a thing. And I'm all for being sensitive to somebody else's plight or somebody else's, um, you know, mental and emotional state. Um, But their issue was, you know, pastor, um, I like my job, but I don't want to get another promotion because then it means I not only have to attend, but I have to sign off that I affirm this and that I have an action plan for implementing it. And and that is that is a that is a switch, um, that is a fine line between saying okay, here is some some basic training about sensitivity to another person's wants, needs, desires, and thoughts, um, as opposed to now, if you want to get promoted, if you want to have the authority um, that your skills would would suit be suited for, then you not only have to affirm what you heard. Um, that you know this this person who was born as a male wants to dress himself and present himself as a female or whatever the case may be um, you not only have to affirm that but then you have to submit an action plan and we have to approve it before you're going to get that um, and actually what came to mind was um, Albert moeller um, you know president of you know Southern Baptist, Baptist convention uh, I think and uh, a seminary in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, but he has a Monday through Friday podcast called The Briefing. And, and he talked about that a little bit as well, um, because he had heard from a number of people who had reached out to him and said, you know what, I, I'll go through the training and, you know, I'll take the day of, of you know, time on the clock to understand what somebody else's thoughts and feelings are. But as a Christian, the I have to draw the line when it comes to you saying I have to have an action plan for how am I going to implement my what i just learned today um because that gets into the question of sincerely held belief and that gets to the question of when do christians draw the line when do christians say um this is what i sincerely believe about human nature that human nature is part and parcel of the christian belief that jesus christ was made man that he became a human fully human with rational soul and human flesh Um, and as a result i as a christian no, I will not, and I do not have the right to act in a bigoted way. But at the same time, I do not, you do not have the right to compel me to accept or affirm or create an action plan for implementing um, whatever whatever new ideas you've just uh, proposed to me.
0: Yeah, and so you're going to quote Albert Moeller and you know drawing the line. I'm going to quote Dave Chappelle here because I watched <laughs> yes. a video. <laughs> I watched a video yesterday. Uh, it, it's not apropos of anything uh, that I was studying for this. Just happened to watch it. But there he was quoting his father who said something similar about uh, knowing the line. He said, know your price because Chappelle wanted to be an actor. And uh, his dad was saying, well, I don't know if that's the the right line or right job to go into And Dave said eventually is that, you know, I don't want to be a teacher because his dad was a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher, but if I can make enough money that you, the same amount of money that you make as a teacher, then I, I'm doing okay. Right, dad? Because usually you think if you're going to be an actor, you have to make a lot of money. And he said, if I make the money of a teacher, say a hundred thousand dollars, that's good enough. And his dad said, then go. go be an actor. But he said, know your price. And I bring it up here based on what you were saying, Peter, is that for us as Christians, we should know where the line is, know what our price is, that we're willing to uh, be, because we're in the the left-hand kingdom. And the left-hand kingdom of this earth, God is in control. And yet Satan has been cast down. That's Revelation 12. He, He is the great red dragon who has been hurled out of heaven and cast down to earth he is alive and well on the earth and and he has his two pets of the persecuting government and the persecuting church that are coming after us in the christian church and so we have to know that and we're going to be living with that but we have to know no other price uh, so with that we can kind of wrap it up here is we've got the government that can be against us, and it can be social media, the media, uh, companies, and so forth, all trying to force us to, to engage in their culture with and worship the beast. That's what it says in Revelation 13, to worship the beast out of the sea by having the mark of the beast on us. So then, what can we do as Christians, Peter, to oppose that and make sure that uh we have the we have the different mark on us that's the mark in revelation chapter 14
1: i the three things come to mind right offhand, and none of them is uh is church attendance or uh or bible class <laughs> i mean the first um if you think of it as christian citizen uh the first is to know what we believe um you know, like if you haven't read the first commandment in Luther's large catechism, you know, take, take 15, 20 minutes. Go to bookofconquered.org. Uh, maybe I'll send Mike the, the link to put in the show notes and, and read through what does it mean to have a God and what does it actually look like? It's not just um, did Nebuchadnezzar set up a a giant statue in the public square, uh, but a God is that from which we expect anything good. Um there, there's that. Um, secondly, you know, as we go from Christian to citizen, kind of along this continuum, um, secondly is this idea of of being able to think logically and practice talking about um, some of these bigger questions. Um, you know, at, at our church, for instance, we're, we're starting up a book club where this month we're looking at the, the mysterious case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's only 67 pages long, there's probably at least one good movie about it, um, and, and what it does is, is, if you can read 67 pages and, and read for understanding, and then talk logically with your, your fellow Christians about what is Luke, Robert Louis Stevenson proposing here, and what is, he, what is his argument? Um, to, to practice, you know, in, in basically a safe space to practice understanding what is somebody saying and what is their argument? And then how do we discuss it? What do I think of that? Um, and maybe, maybe in, in another church, you know, it could be, you know, you have a Star Wars marathon, like here's, here's episode four. And what is, what is episode four say about human nature or the problem of evil or why do bad things happen in this world? Um, and then the, the final part, um, the final part is, uh, is kind of an understanding of our Bill of Rights, that when we talk about, I asked this one time, what is the, the First Amendment? Um, and there, there are five freedoms preserved for us in the First Amendment. Um, and I asked this to a, a Bible class of well, 35 people, most of whom have been voting age since like the Reagan administration, or maybe George won um, And and there was one person who raised a hand and said, "Is that the right to keep and bear arms?" I'm like, "No, that's the Second Amendment." There's there's five freedoms in the First Amendment. Can we name one? <laughs> and you were talking yeah. about, and 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 if we're ignorant of these things, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's in the Bill of Rights. And yeah. if we're ignorant of these things, we'll say, "Oh yes, um, I'm I I'll just go along and have my I'll I'll affirm what you're saying, and, I, and here's my action plan." Rather than saying Um, I I do not have the right under the law to discriminate. As a Christian, I do not want to discriminate. But at the same time, it is part of my free, my sincerely held belief that you cannot compel this on me because this is my religious freedom. And so please go ahead and fire me because that is just a cakewalk for the right lawyer. Um, And you'll get yourself in a heap deep of trouble. Yeah. Uh, And so, so I I mean, my my answer there was uh, Book of Concord, um, good literature and good movies, and uh, and the Bill of Rights. <laughs> all right, and none of that I, was probably thinking of.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, no, that's good. I was thinking of Revelation fourteen, uh, which is the there it talks about in verse one that God sees or Saint John sees all of these people, these saints that have a seal on their foreheads, which is baptism. And uh, with all of the things that you're talking about, I think the first thing before all of those then is remembering our baptism. When did we have a seal placed on our heads? It was when we were brought to the font or maybe in the hospital or home, whenever our pastor or parents poured water over our head and into our hearts. And then the pastor made the sign of the cross over head and heart to mark us as redeemed child of Christ. And I I like telling the story here with this with revelation 14 i remember years ago going to the prison here in our area and visiting tyler tyler had been baptized and confirmed at our congregation but he he obviously got in a lot of trouble that he was in prison and one of the things he did was get involved in drugs and then to get involved in drugs he stole from people stealing even from his grandmother who loved him and supported him through everything, and who asked me then to go visit Tyler. Well, I went and visited him in the prison, in the, in the kitchen, and Tyler confessed that he was not a good person, and he said that after his confirmation, he grew to hate God. He hated God so much that he got involved in Satanism. And he got so involved in Satanism that he had the mark of the beast, 666, tattooed on his heart. And that's when he started crying. He goes, Pastor, what can I do? I don't want to be involved in Satanism anymore. And that's when I told him and I read from Revelation 14. I said, Tyler, you've been baptized. You've had the seal of the Holy Spirit put on your head and on your heart, even though you can't see it god sees it and that seal of baptism is more important than some ink on your chest and then he cried again but that's what we need to do is understand we may be ostracized from commerce because we we do not have the mark of the beast but that's okay we have a better mark on us which is the seal of our baptism when we go back to our baptism that even though we may not be a part of Different activities in our world because we're ostracized, we're a part of a larger kingdom of a family of believers. But then that's where we lead into what you were saying, Peter, to defend that right of what we have placed on us to do all of those things. Uh and and the big thing is you're right, we don't know the formula of concrete, we don't know our Lutheran confessions, we don't know our scriptures. So know those first of all, and then Know what our American laws are and what freedoms we have, and then to protect those things anything else you want to yeah. bring up with that yeah i I guess my other one um one of my favorite chapters,
1: probably my favorite chapter in all scripture is um romans six and um and and that it's it's good to good to be reading these things, but to think about think about what does it mean to Know something by heart. Um, like pick up your, your favorite Bible translation and what you, what, either what you've known for 30 years or what you plan on using for the next 30 years and, and memorize it. Um, maybe start in Romans 6. It's only like 25 verses long. It's not that long. And in, in the space of you know a month or maybe five weeks, you could re- remember the whole thing. Um, and that ability to to have it in your mind um, near at hand, and um, and to know it by heart is uh, and to memorize. You know, here's what God says um, about what He has done through Holy Baptism for me. Um, and then, you know, then it's it, it's still intimidating to live in a world that, as a follower of Jesus, when they crucified Him. Um, but it's encouraging. To say this is the power of the resurrection. That Jesus has raised himself from the dead. And they can't rebury him. Um, and Jesus has made me victorious with him.
0: Yeah. And then to understand as terrifying and as terrible as it is. With the great red dragon hurled down to earth. And the two beasts as his pets tormenting and tempting us. Uh, I bring up a couple of verses in the end of the chapter on verse page 41. Daniel 7, verse 14, all people's nations and languages will worship him, being the son of man, Jesus Christ. We're going to hear in our gospel lesson for this Sunday of Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, Jesus is the son of man. That son of man term comes from Daniel, particularly. And then also a good Bible verse to remember. Therefore God also highly exalted Christ and gave him the name that is above every name so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's for us as Christians. We understand Jesus is in control. But this is also referring to all of those who oppose us who are who belong to those two beasts. They, too, on the last day, they will have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Not as Savior, but as Lord before they're cast into hell, if they're unbelievers, where we're uh, welcome into heaven as believers. Anything else on that?
1: I think that uh, that wraps up the chapter.
0: All right. So a couple of things that I wanted to do then is I've got... Uh, one more book review. This is from Barnes and Noble. Uh, uh, this one says on the book, it's it's five five out of five stars. Superb treatment of a timely subject. Pastor Zarling has given the subject matter a very thorough treatment, very scriptural and practical for the times we are living through. Christ's followers are commanded to honor and obey the governing authorities God has placed over us. Yet throughout scripture and the history of the Christian church, we see God's people forced to navigate through scenarios in which the choice to obey the earthly government and God appear to be at odds. When are Christ's followers permitted, even obligated to resist the earthly government as a way to honor God first and foremost? What does it even mean to resist the government as opposed to rebel against the government? We'll be confronted with this dilemma more and more as the last day approaches. This book is a must-read to assist Christians in their walk of faith. So I appreciate that. Uh, Also, that's on Barnes & Noble. And you can buy the book on Barnes & Noble, but it's going to be about $29 there. Right now, Amazon has a deal that you can buy the hardcover of the book for less than the softcover. So the hardcover book is now... $18, whereas the list price is $28. Uh, And then also for all of you who are somewhere in Minnesota, uh, I'm going to be speaking at St. John's Lutheran Church in Goodhue, Minnesota on September 11th at six o'clock. And the pastor there, Pastor Robert, is a classmate of mine. He has invited all of you to come. So uh, six o'clock on September 11th at St. John's in Goodhue, Minnesota. You are welcome to come because then the next day I'm going to be speaking on the subject of the book at the pastor's conference at St. Croix. Uh, in that conference there. So uh, we'll wrap it up here. Please continue to like, share, comment on the videos and the podcast. Uh, subscribe to Resisting the Dragon's Beast on Twitter slash X and on Facebook. And let's just keep getting the word out. So like Peter and I were talking about, we know both scripture and history and then can apply those to our lives because it's all about just discussing. Lord's blessings on your week.